What we do in the services here isn't a matter of just what we decide might be a good idea, but what's the pattern in the Bible? They did. And one of the things we find in Acts, the book of Acts that they did, was they found out how the spread of the gospel had been going. Paul and Barnabas reported back, for example, to the church in Antioch as the church gathered. So I want us to hear about one way we're trying to spread the gospel here at Hollywell. I'm hoping Margaret King's going to tell us about eye women. So, Margaret, up you come. So, Margaret, many of us here have heard this phrase, eye women. Some won't have done at all, so tell us what it is. So, eye women stands for international women. That's why we have the eye. It's not to do with the internet, but it's international women. And it's a group that um, is for women from different cultures. I suppose that perhaps comes out of the title. Uh, particularly for people who, when they've arrived here in the UK, perhaps for various reasons, and are feeling a bit lost and uh, struggling with all the differences in our culture, because there are so many differences between the cultures of all different um, countries, even within the UK, actually. But uh, struggling with that and perhaps missing their family and friends and feeling isolated. So this group started about... Ten years ago, and uh, we started just having conversation and practicing English. But gradually, we uh, had every alternate meeting uh, being a simple English Bible study, and then the other meeting was like conversation or uh, making things, craft, cooking, things like that. Um, and it's, it's really wonderful, actually, over the years that we've had this group, that quite a number have come to church to see what happens in a church in England and have found it very uh, congenial atmosphere and actually have also come to know the Lord Jesus and gone back to their home countries perhaps as Christians. So, so that's good, the sort thanks. of thing you want to know. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Yes. And what about what you've been doing more recently over the last few weeks? So um, a few years ago, we, well actually Sue Kim, whom some of you know, had this um, idea to uh, start a course that we called Life in the UK, particularly for people who perhaps arrived in the autumn, wives of international students, academic visitors, people who weren't aware of some of the aspects of life in the UK, to help them. So we have in that, we have um, several sessions. The first one is telling people a bit about Loughborough and what you can see and do and where you can go and things like banks and charity shops and this kind of thing in Loughborough itself and the monuments like the Carillon, but also a session about the education system here and a session about the, first aid, uh, about the NHS. And one of our members, Alex, did it for the first time last week. About, because, again, that's very different in many countries. And the final session, we're going to do some English cookery. And it's all, yes, so we're coming to the end. Of that, so that's uh, this coming week? Yes, yes, that's right. Yes. Good. Good. Yes. So, can you tell us a few things we can pray for, either that course or I women or? Yeah. Well, I was going to say first, I'd really like to thank. I think I do want to thank God. In at the beginning of this term, I thought actually maybe I women has reached its end because the only people who were meeting were the four or five of us who were from this church leading it. But then. Two or three people sent me messages saying, oh, I've heard about your course, can I come? And so we've had uh, a couple of people who used to come who've returned and some new people who are really new to the UK who have benefited from. So I thank God for that and pray that perhaps that others also will join us, that maybe they will ask uh, you know, their friends to come along. So that's one thing I'd like to pray about. Um, 
Also, um, again, we pray that those who come will not just learn about life in the UK or think we're a very lovely, friendly group, but will learn about Jesus and will, because I hope we will start again to do the Bible studies when we go on. And I think we could pray for some of those who've gone back, who became Christians here, uh, and then uh, have gone back to their own countries, and perhaps it's a much tougher environment there. So I think we could pray for them as well. Good, thank you. Let me see... I've remembered. So thank God for the people who've come. Yes. Pray that they wouldn't just think it's a friendly environment, but turn to Christ. Pray for the people who've gone back to their country. Yes, that's it. That was the thing. That was all of them, wasn't it? Good. I will try to remember (laughs) and pray for them now. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Thanks. Good. Let's pray then. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you that your plan is that through the church, your multifaceted wisdom uh, would be made known. And we read that in the book of Ephesians, where the emphasis is on your multifaceted wisdom made known through the church, bringing together uh, people who weren't together before. And the church being a multifaceted, multicoloured group of people that reflects your multifaceted wisdom. Father, we thank you that you bring together people and make them one in Christ. And so we pray, may I, women, be used by you in that plan. Not just people brought together into one room, uh, into one event, and as we've heard from Margaret, just finding it congenial, but people who are brought together in Christ, into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just into a meeting, but into his body. And so for that, with that in mind, Father, we thank you that I Women has not come to an end, uh, that after many years of it bringing the gospel to women, it's continuing and more have come along. And we thank you for your goodness over this past term. We thank you for the people who are running it and giving their time to bringing the gospel to and showing care to women from other countries and other cultures. And so, Father, we pray that they wouldn't just find it a congenial group, but they would find the saviour. That they wouldn't just learn helps for living in this country, but they would learn the gospel. That uh, they wouldn't just be helped to settle in here in Loughborough, but they would be brought in to the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Please, Father, be at work, we pray. We thank you you have been at work in the past and we thank you people have been saved And now some of them are back in their home countries and we pray that they would prove to be good ground that lasts and bears fruit. Protect them. Sometimes they're in difficult situations. Keep them persevering. Keep their eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. Encourage them. Give them fellow Christians around them who will help them to keep going. And please may uh, this introduction to life in the UK course and I women be fruitful for the honour of Jesus. Uh, for months yet to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, would you turn to Hebrews? Towards the end of your New Testament, the letter of Hebrews and chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read from verse 14 into chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 10. Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14. 
And if you'd like to, you could stand while we're reading. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honour upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could hear him, who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We'll end our reading there. Now we've read that Jesus has gone through the heavens, he's so strong, and he's able to deal gently, he's so kind. And we're going to sing a song that has exactly that theme, Jesus Strong and Kind. It was written as a children's song, I'm told, but I can't spot anything in it that makes it unsuitable to be an adult song too. So we're going to sing it. Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. No one else can satisfy, I should come to him. Jesus said if I am weak, I should come to him. No one else can be my strength, I should come to him. For the Lord is good and faithful, he will keep us day and night. We can always run 
to Jesus, Jesus strong and kind. Jesus said that if I fear, I should come to Him. No one else can be my shield, I should come to Him. For the Lord is good and faithful, He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus, Jesus strong and kind. Jesus said, if I am lost, He will come to me. He showed me on that cross He will come to me For the Lord is good and faithful He will keep us day and night We can always run to Jesus Jesus strong Now, this evening is a communion service. I want to put the emphasis there and regard what we're doing now as leading into communion. I was going to say uh, just a short message to lead us into communion, and I thought it would be, but I'm not so sure now it will be any shorter than usual. I, uh, yes, I thought it would be, but I just don't seem to manage to make them short these days. But the aim is to lead into communion and um, prepare us for that. So First of all, a question for you. What reason did Jesus give for why we do this thing where we eat bread and we drink wine? What was his reason for that? Very simple. No particular catch here. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, notice he didn't say, do this in remembrance of the event, the cross. He didn't say, do this in remembrance of the gift, salvation. Two very good things to remember, but it's not quite what he said. He said, do this in remembrance of me, of him, the person. So this evening, let's remember him. Let's put our focus on thinking about him. Uh, Do it this way. So many things we could think about this great person. Let's just pick one. What is his attitude towards you? What is the attitude of Jesus Towards you. First thing I could say about that is his attitude is never neutral. His attitude is never neutral. There is no one here Jesus is neutral about. There's no one here that Jesus is indifferent towards. There's no one here Jesus feels mildly about. Whoever you are, Jesus does not feel mildly about you. His attitude to you is either fierce anger or gentle love. And he feels both strongly. Fierce anger or gentle love. 
both felt strongly. Jesus does not have tepid or lukewarm feelings about anyone. And the dividing line between those two, fierce anger or gentle love, is not what your sin is like. It's not how well you've tried. It's not how good is your Bible understanding. The dividing line is simply this. Will you come to Jesus? Will you stay away from him and insist on going your way? Or will you turn to him and recognize your need of him? That's the simple dividing line. And that's a dividing line that you can cross now, here, at this very moment. You could tell Jesus you need him. You could give up going your own way, insisting I'll do things my way. And I can guarantee his attitude will be gentle love to you. Now, let's spend the rest of the evening focusing on that side of the dividing line, the gentle love side. What is the attitude of Jesus to those who have come to him? Let's see that from Hebrews chapter 4. If you've got a Bible and you turn to that, that would be a help. We're looking at one verse, Hebrews 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4, verse 15. What is the attitude of Jesus to those who've come to him? What is his attitude to you if you have come to him? And remember still, if you haven't, you can now at this moment. And the rest of this apply to you. His attitude is he sympathizes. He sympathizes. It's in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. It tells us he sympathizes. Except it puts it rather strangely, doesn't it? Have you noticed how strangely it puts it? A cartoon showed two solicitors talking to each other. And one solicitor was telling the other, I presume, presume one who was more junior and just starting out, how to make his legal writings difficult to understand. These are things to do to make your legal writings difficult to understand so you can charge more money by things not seeming too simple to your clients. And one of his bits of advice was never use a positive when you could use a double negative. You want to make it difficult to understand so you can charge lots of money. Don't just simply use a positive when you could put it in a double negative. It was obviously having a go at solicitors. Well, the Bible is not like solicitors' writings. It is not aiming to be awkward. So why is verse 15 a double negative? Have you noticed it? Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Why why the double negative? Why doesn't it just say we do have a high priest who is able? That would be much more straightforward. Why doesn't it just say that? Because we might think we have a high priest who is unable. We might think we have a high priest who's unable to sympathise, and it's saying, no, we don't. Don't think like that. Why might we think we have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with us? Well, because up to this point, Hebrews has spent a lot of time telling us about how great Jesus, that high priest, is. Telling us how far above us he is. Let's just take one example. Will you turn back to chapter 1, verse 3? 
chapter 1, verse 3. This Jesus is the Son of God. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He sustains all things by his powerful word. Why does planet Earth and the other planets of the solar system, why do they go round the sun? Well, people who know a bit of physics might say because of gravity. And then I might ask you, well, what's that? What on Earth is gravity? And if you know a bit of physics, you might say, well, it is this force of attraction between, between objects. They attract towards each other. And then I might ask you, well, why do they do that? <laughs> Which might stump you, because it's... I don't know that anyone can explain it, except Hebrews 1 verse 3 does. Why are you attracted to planet Earth? Why does planet Earth go round the sun? Why any of this? Hebrews 1 verse 3, it's the Son of God by his powerful words. He's keeping the universe going. All those things that we observe and we call that one laws of nature and those the laws of physics is us just seeing Jesus keeping the world going by his powerful words. He's the one behind everything. And that could make us think what is being described is an impersonal force or some unimaginable remote being, totally unfeeling. In fact, an important teaching that the church has held to down through its history, all sorts of very different churches that have disagreed on all sorts of things have agreed on this. The technical term is divine impassibility. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, divine impassibility. It means this, God is independent. He's above his creation. He's not dependent on it. He doesn't have feelings in the same way as we do. You know, we get things hit us we didn't expect and they raise our temper or they depress us. But God doesn't get hit by things he didn't expect. He's not a creature like us. And yet, and yet, God has become a man and he's taken part in his creation. And so Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, so don't think he's unable to sympathize. You would think it if you got an idea of how great and far above us he is, but he's now taken part in his creation. Don't think he's unable to sympathise. You would also think he was unable to sympathise if you knew this sympathise word. Maybe you do know it. Maybe you know what the word sympathise means here, originally. Let's have a think about how strong, it is a very strong word. Let's have a think about it. What is a co-pilot? You know what a co-pilot is? Well, a co-pilot is in the cockpit with the pilot. And together they fly the plane. The co-pilot is with the pilot. Co there means with. You might be able to think of other words where you've got co on the front and it means with. I could only think of co-pilot. You can tell me others afterwards. Co means with. This word sympathise is literally co-sufferer. Co-sufferer. Someone who suffers with us. Now, Jesus is now in heaven. He is raised above his suffering. He is now free of his suffering. But he feels our pain with us. He feels our trouble with us. He is our co-sufferer. 
Now, we might be happy to think, or it it might come naturally to us to think, Jesus is with us on our side when life is going well. But Hebrews 4 verse 15 says the opposite. When does it say Jesus is with us? Yes, he is with us when it's going well. But verse 15 emphasizes it's in our weaknesses. He sympathizes. He's he's the co-sufferer with us. It's in our difficulties that his heart is drawn towards us. We're here to remember Jesus. We're thinking about his attitude. What is his attitude towards you? He sympathizes. Uh, Let's secondly move on to ask why. Why? And the answer in this verse is from his experience. Let's read the verse again, 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Now, do you see the two parallels? He sympathizes with weaknesses, it says, because he was tempted. That second one seems to be explaining the first. He can sympathize with your weakness because he's also experienced being tempted. The verse is saying the the experience of weakness and the experience of temptation tend to go together. And Jesus experienced temptation because he experienced weakness. So let's start there. What What weaknesses did Jesus experience? Have a think for a moment. How did Jesus experience being weak? In what ways? Anyone like to suggest? What weaknesses did Jesus face? He was hungry. Yes, he was hungry. And that was a weakness that led to a temptation we'll come to in a moment. How else was he weak? He was tired. He went on a journey and he sat, we read, at a wellside, tired. And he was asleep in a boat, so tired that he was asleep in the storm. How else was he weak? He was feared. Yeah, he feared the cross that was ahead of him. He wanted to shrink from it, turn back from it. How else did he experience weakness? He had to pray. He had really, truly become a human who depended on God, his father. And so he had to pray. He had to ask for things. That not that a sign of weakness when you have to ask for things? Let's not forget the word praying means asking. Weakness anymore. He became a child. Yes. We had some children running around on the platform here, didn't we? And we had a baby in, in his mother's arms here this morning. And they are weak. And it's a good thing Rachel didn't drop him, isn't it? Because he would get hurt. And Jesus was like that. Weak. A child. A little child. Weak. Yes. Think again about Jesus as a child. Did Jesus know, uh, I've referred to gravity, did Jesus know Newton's laws about gravity and things as a two-year-old? No. No, he didn't. Because they hadn't been discovered yet. Newton came a long time after in history. That shows some weakness in two ways. He became a man of his times, subject to the limitations of his times, But also, he became a little child. He didn't come out of his mother's womb knowing E equals mc squared and 2 plus 2 equals 4. 
He didn't know that. He had to learn these things. Amazing. The Son of God who made it all, who invented it all, allowed himself to become weak, so he had to learn it. And he had to learn it from people who didn't yet know it all, because Newton hadn't yet been born, let alone Einstein. Weak. Limited. He experienced being limited. Do you ever say, I wish there were more hours in the day? I expect we've all said that at some time, because we're just not managing to get the work done. The eternal Son of God was not limited. As the eternal Son of God, no limitations outside time. But, but Jesus was limited. When he was a carpenter, he couldn't just magically make the day longer to get the work done. He felt that pressure of, is it going to be done on time? Because he'd got limited time. Weak. In various ways, he experienced weakness. I'm sure there's many more, and it would be worth having a think about them. Well, uh, physical weakness. We've had hungry and tired, haven't we? Could Jesus lift a 1,000 kilograms? No, because because he was human. He couldn't do it. He couldn't get himself magically from Nazareth to Jerusalem without having to go through the tiring journey in between. Now, all this is saying Jesus was truly human, Totally God, yes, but totally man. And along with those weaknesses of being truly human comes temptation. So verse 15 again, it says, he was tempted in every way just as we are. Now, we mustn't be silly about that phrase. We could push it to a silly conclusion when it says in every way. Of course, there are temptations Jesus didn't face. You've probably got a source of temptation in your pocket or in your bag, or you might even be holding it now. What am I meaning? Your phone, aren't I? Your phone. Well, Jesus didn't have a phone. So he didn't have that phone temptation to waste time or to say nasty things on social media or to look at lust-provoking images on his phone. Didn't have that, did he? Because he didn't have a phone. So don't push this verse in silly ways. Jesus didn't have a phone doing that. But you don't need a phone to be tempted to waste time, to be unkind, and to look at lust-provoking things. So maybe that illustrates for us, don't push this in silly ways, but all those temptations we face, Jesus faced parallels, faced similar He experienced the underlying weaknesses and pressures behind our temptations. Because he was human, he got hungry. And so Satan pressured him, disobey God to relieve the hunger. Because he was human, he had the need for others' esteem. And so he faced pressure to not mix with the sinners and tax collectors and to tone down his words about the Pharisees. Because he was human, he was averse to pain and afraid. And so he faced pressure to avoid going to the cross. Jesus in heaven no longer has weaknesses. Nothing weak about him now. He no longer experiences those pressures. But he's still Jesus. Notice verse 14 emphasizes that. It calls him by that human name, Jesus. The one who's gone into heaven is still Jesus. He's still the same man and he has no memory failures. No memory failures. He full well remembers what it was like. The temptations, 
the weaknesses, and he sympathises with your weaknesses. Let's move on to the next phrase, though, in the verse. Yet was without sin. Yet was without sin. Now, here's a massive difference to us. Here's a massive difference to every single one of us. He never gave in to the temptation. He never once sinned. Now, this is a rich and massive subject. We could spend so many evenings looking at this from different angles and benefiting from it. I want to look at it just from this one angle, how it relates to him sympathising with us, how it helps with him sympathising with us. You see, it might sound like the end of verse 15 is a bit of small print that's not so good because it might sound like it reduces how much he sympathises. It might sound a bit like Jesus was tempted like you. Well, actually, no, not really so much like you because he never sinned, you hopeless sinner. It might sound a bit like that, but it's not that. Actually, this yet was without sin increases his sympathy. I'll try to show you two ways it increases his sympathy. Here's the first one. Two children are arm wrestling their dad. Tammy is 10 and she arm wrestles her dad for 10 seconds and then gives up because she recognises she can't manage it and her arm goes down. Tim is 18 and he arm wrestles his dad for 10 seconds and then he keeps going for another 30 seconds and another 40 seconds and eventually beats his dad. Embarrassing for his dad, but he is 18. Which one came under more strain? Tammy arm wrestling for 10 seconds or Tim for however many minutes, I said. Well, you say it's Tim. He came under more strain because Tammy gave up before the strain got too bad. Jesus kept going under trials and temptations. He kept going, however strong the pressure got, however fierce the temptation got, he kept going. At no point did he give in and the pressure was relieved. And that means whatever strain you feel, whatever pressure you come under, he has come under. He has come under more. He is able to sympathise. Never do you get to a point where, well, Jesus can't sympathise with that. He never went that far. You never get there. Here's another way that this uh, without sin increases his sympathy. It also means this. Sometimes we describe sin by making use of the letters of the word. You heard this, we say sin is a very little word with I in the middle. Well, that's fair enough, isn't it? That's, that's a decent description. Sin, we, we're turned in on self when we sin. Verse 15 says, whatever pressures and inducements to sin Jesus came under, he never turned in on self. Never did he turn in on himself. He wouldn't turn those stones into bread because that would be to serve self. And he came to serve us, so he's going to go the hard way. Yet without sin increases our confidence, Jesus sympathises. There in heaven is a person who never turned in on self. Okay, last thing to tell you, last thing. 
about Jesus' attitude to you. Maybe, maybe there's someone here and you say, okay, that's nice and that's good. Jesus sympathises with the weak. Jesus sympathises with the tempted. That's helpful for people who are weak, but I'm worse than weak. Maybe you think that. I'm worse than weak. It wasn't just weakness. I sinned like that, knowing full well what I was doing. It wasn't just I, I crumbled under the weakness. I saw that sin. I loved that sin. I went for that sin. It was worse than weakness. Well, chapter 4, verse 15 is still for you. The sympathy of Jesus is still for you. I can show you that from a few verses later. Now, here you have to remember, when Hebrews was written, it was a letter without chapters. So forget that you've got a big five in your Bible saying chapter five. It just goes on from chapter four. It's all the same subject. And the subject is Jesus is the high priest we need. And chapter 5 carries on that subject by saying, now look at the Old Testament priests. That's verses 1 to 4. Here's what an Old Testament priest was supposed to be like. Now, Jesus was like that, but better. So verses 1 to 4 are describing the Old Testament priests, but to say, look, Jesus is like that, but better. Okay, who should Old Testament priests deal gently with? The answer is in chapter 5, verse 2. Who should they deal gently with? Verse 2, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. Priests should deal gently with people who are ignorant and going astray. Or to put it another way, ignorant and wayward. Now, Hebrews, maybe more than any other New Testament book, is based on the Old Testament and is full of referring to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there were two kinds of sin. They were called unwillful or willful, or to put it another way, accidental or deliberate, or to put it another way, sins of slipping up by mistake or sins where you know full well what you're doing. Or to put it another way, ignorant or wayward. This is what Hebrews 5 verse 2 is about. The priest is to deal with both kinds of sinner gently. Those who have ignorantly slipped up and those who have waywardly just full well known, I'm going to go in the wrong direction here. For both types of sin, the priest is to deal gently kindly and sympathetically. So, of course, Jesus, the perfect priest, will deal gently, kindly, sympathetically with you. And the dividing line between whether Jesus sympathises with you or not is not how bad was your sin, is not did you know what you were doing, is not was you, did you have a horrible attitude behind your sin or did you have a not quite so bad attitude behind your sin? The dividing line is simply, will you come to Jesus with your sin? Hebrews 4 verse 15 tells us the attitude, the heart of Jesus. And the attitude is that of the perfect high priest 
We have a high priest who is full of sympathy, kindness, gentleness. It's communion in a few minutes. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, there's nothing matters more than remembering Jesus. There's nothing that will shape your life more. There's nothing that will influence how you live and how you die more than. Do you know this Jesus? Do you trust? Have you got confidence in? Are you attracted to? Remember this Jesus.